HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Bonnie knows when you plant something, it keeps on giving. Growing from friend to neighbor to community. Generations of gardeners have trusted Bonnie for fresh, healthy vegetable and herb plants. Rely on Bonnie for quality plants, help, and support. Bonnie, gardening with you since 1918. BonniePlants.com You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hi there, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey through culinary history. And you know, pasta is that wonderful food that is intrinsically joined to Italy. I mean, I don't don't think there's any way that anyone would deny that. But it is such a popular food that it is almost considered American. And I think everybody has at least one pasta meal a week or a month if they're not avoiding carbs. It's too delicious to avoid. And someone who knows a lot about pasta is here with me today, and she can debunk some of the myths that you might have thought about how to cook pasta, but also shed some light on the history um, and particularly on the methods of cooking and saucing our pasta, as well as history of food in Rome, totally. Maureen Fant. Maureen, welcome. Thank you, Linda. Maureen is an author of many books. Well, she started out as an archaeologist, but we'll let her tell us about that. Archaeology and food history, that's the same thing. They're both building blocks, right, of, of, of human culture. <laughs> they are. They're both ways of looking at a whole culture, of the material uh, record of a, of a culture. Absolutely. Uh, and Maureen is the author of several books. Um, I don't know how many books. The Trattoria's, the, the Encyclopedia of Food, Dictionary of Italian Food, and has translated the work of Oretta Zanini De Vita, um, the Encyclopedia of Pasta and the Food of Rome and Lazio, and I, the list goes on. But this most recent book that you have written with Oretta... Yes, it's um, co-authored. It co-authored with Oretta is Sauces and Shapes... Um, Pasta the Italian way. Pasta the Italian way. I wanted to get that right, and I didn't have my glasses on. Uh, And it 
is such a successful book. I mean, it won the IACP award this year and yes, was a in finalist in the, yeah, in the International Cookery. Yes. And was a finalist in the same category for the James Beard Awards. And congratulations. Thank you. I have a question. Do you think, because you talk a lot about in the book about making the pastas, the actual dough by hand, do you think this book would have had success, say, 10, 15 years ago before people were so into, you know, making all this food themselves, the whole artisanal movement and all? Probably the pasta part would have been about the same. What would have been different 10 years ago, in fact, we couldn't have written this book 10 years ago, maybe 10, 15, certainly not, because we are such sticklers for the ingredients in the sauces. That's where um, that's where the book, in, in many ways, is very new, even though it's very traditional. You can order uh, anchovies. If you can't get them where you live, you can order the good anchovies. You can order salt-packed capers from Pantelleria. You can you can get all these ingredients now, and you it used to be impossible. That's interesting. We had a discussion earlier before the show about how difficult years ago it was to find simple things like parmesan and prosciutto that people now take for granted. Yes, yeah. and and also good dry pasta, good industrial mm-hmm. pasta. Mm-hmm. And now you can get all kinds of very good pasta. It used to be impossible. Well, uh, aside from the ingredients. Um, you really talk a lot about, I guess, say the culture of pasta. The culture of yeah. pasta, yes, exactly. Um, and and that is, I think, something that people don't understand. Um, in well, first of all, Italians have been eating pasta and cooking pasta for millennia. Okay, T- tell me, get, let's we as we said, let's don't go back to you know to the early you know the early days, but let's. But as far as um, Debunking the myth about the whole Marco Polo thing, we can definitely can be debunked. Marco Polo did eat pasta in um, in um, China, but as Oretta always says, when he got home to Venice, his wife had a bowl of pasta waiting for him. It was also known. He, in fact, he recognizes what he saw in China as pasta. So he knew it already before right. he went. Right, right, <laughs> and. And there, I mean, there's, I want to say that I know in Oretta's past books, and I, and I passed this phrase out to you before, she was always kind of like, seemed to me a, a, a pasta police person. And I mean, and you, I think that's rubbed off on you and you just anyone who's lived there and, and cooked in Italy becomes Absolutely. this way, right? Absolutely. Well, Oretta is a real stickler for everything. She has a wonderful sense of humor. She's a delightful person, but you can't get away with anything with Oretta. And yes, I've become that way. But anybody who cooks, seriously, I'm a home cook. I'm not a, a trained chef, but I'm a good home cook. And once you get into that, you get, you have your standards, and you do not let them down. That's right. And and I bring this up specifically because um, the the title sauces, shapes, and sauces. I, I mean. People used to think I was crazy when I said, no, 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 yo, you can't serve a bolognese sauce with, you know, with spaghetti. spaghetti. Right. You know, there are it, certain shapes are made for certain sauces. There's a, a butter-based and a oil-based. And there's, and in the, the, of course, the permutations go on and on and on, which I'm going to hear from you. All right. Well, first of all, the, the world of pasta divides. There's a sort of different lines of division. There's the whole... Grano tenero, soft wheat and egg universe, 
and there's the Durham Wheat and Water Universe, and there's a little bit of crossover, some with egg and some without egg. And, but basically, the, um, the sfoglia, the sheet from which noodle shapes, flat noodle shapes, tagliatelle, lasagna, are cut, ravioli, are made with, um, from, they're cut from the sfoglia, the sheet. They're made with eggs and granos negro, soft wheat. The um, spaghetti, the extruded shapes, and also the more rustic handmade shapes from the, usually from the south of Italy, central and south, southern Italy, are uh, made, they're made with durum wheat and water. Now, usually, what can I say? The, the shapes and the sauces have definite partners and some but people once people understand the principle that you can't serve everything with everything they tend to overthink and they look for scientific principles and there are a few basic scientific principles such as the more liquid the sauce the more surface more surface area you want on your pasta so spaghetti something long um, goes very well with something liquid i mean it's 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 almost obvious but from there to why linguine is better with seafood and spaghetti is better with, I don't know, plain tomato sauce, there's no reason at all. It's tradition. Linguine is traditional with seafood. There's no, it's not that that little teeny tiny difference in the shape is seeking out a shrimp to, for its natural partner. It's, it's, it's not. It's tradition. So you have to, um, you have to take a lot of it with a grain of salt while never forgetting that you absolutely cannot serve just anything with anything. Uh-huh. Not anything with anything. So it's, it's not, it's it not, sim- reason. Yeah. it's not simple, but mm-hmm. it's now for those of you, we have to, I have to say that, um, who are listening to Maureen talk so casually about knowing the intricacies of pasta. Maureen has lived in Italy. She went over in years ago. It's been over 30 years. You've just been... I have lived there since 1979. Just lived there. And so she knows a thing or two about pasta. Right? <laughs> How did you get in? And you went over initially to to study archaeology and, and be a, a world-famous yes. archaeologist, right? How did you make that switch into food? Um, it was through writing. I was... Um, I was working as an editor at the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, which is another approach to food, which has nothing to do with the luxury of oh, learning no. how to make the perfect bolognese. But uh, I, I was editing, which classics is excellent preparation for. And I decided that really I had to get back into the humanities, and I started writing for a, a magazine, Armchair Archaeology, or articles from a magazine in English that was published in Rome, and from there, I made some proposals to send some queries to the New York Times travel section. And one of them contained a food component. A small, uh, it was about Norcia, a town in uh, Umbria known for its, its pork products. Sausages, yeah. Sausages <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Also tra- black truffles. But um, the editor, Nancy Newhouse, said, oh, you know, I'd like your ideas, but do the one on Norcia because I need food. And uh, I did, and she liked it, and they began to give me food assignments. So when the New York Times decides that you're, you write, you <laughs> you're write about writer. food, you get busy, and you, 
So they decided your future in a certain way. <laughs> yes, yes. And then I realized that, you know, it's what I wanted to do, what I had always wanted to do, but I never thought anybody would want to read what I said about food. Because there are so many good food writers out there. Yeah. Well, it, well, you have certainly made a mark for yourself. <laughs> I was telling Maureen earlier that when on one of my trips, I found her book had just been published on the Trattorias of Rome and, and Florence. And, and Venice. Boy, and Venice, right. And I grabbed that. And, you know, before I went to add a little, uh, little substance to my to my wanderings around and and have been following your food writing ever since. Well, actually, well, actually for, first with the Dictionary of Italian Food. Dictionary of yeah, Italian Cuisine published in... The 1990s, and we're working on my co-author and I have been picking at it all these years, and we're uh, very close to coming out with an e-book, an electronic edition of of the dictionary. Well, that's that's good. People, since they travel with their their iPads and their iPhones, and that's about it, right? Yes. Um, And the other, but you do keep your hand in in some of the archaeology and certainly the cultural history. I do. I uh, I have I translate sort of difficult uh, excavation reports and things from the Italian. And my my translations are in the Iraq Museum. Oh, interesting. I translated wall panels from the Iraq, for the Iraq Museum for the, some of the restored rooms hmm. because they were restored by Italian archaeologists and the wall panels were written in Italian and I translated them. And you've also written a book that's been now in, it has had, uh, what, three or four different editions the life of women in women's Rome. life in Greece and Rome. We are working with Mary Lefkowitz, who recently retired from teaching at Wellesley College. Um, we are working on the fourth revised edition now. That book has been. I, I grew up with that book. Hmm. It's it's amazing that it's. But we're very proud of it. It's a source book. It's it's writings collected and extracted from. Um, Greek and Latin texts, translated, annotated. So, of course, we knew that women had to cook. So why not then make that transition over <laughs> <laughs> to cooking? And, um, and and back to the, the, the book, Sauces and Shapes. Uh, you, you say in this, well, in, or in a couple of your interviews about the book, that there are a lot of myths. You don't say that there are myths. You know there are myths abound about what to do with pasta, how to cook pasta, mistakes people make, and um, and you decided to put an end to a lot of that, right? And, and <laughs> Myths and misconceptions, we could say. Okay, and one of them, of course, is and hard to believe, people cooking pasta, the first thing you have to do is salt the water, right? People are very reluctant to use enough salt. Now, salt is one of these foods that's been demonized, and people are afraid to use enough salt. But but really, it's not all going to go into the pasta. A lot of it's going to go down the drain. And you'll never get the right flavor by adding the salt later to the to the sauce. You have to add it in the water and it has to get into the pasta. There's not you can reduce there's a metric formula that um every Italian knows, not necessarily to repeat uh the exact numbers of, but knows instinctively. And it's 10 grams of coarse salt, not fine salt. You use half as much fine salt. 10 grams of coarse salt to a liter of water to 100 grams of pasta. So for a pound of pasta, you use about five quarts of water and three tablespoons of of coarse salt, or as I said, half that amount of fine table salt. You can adjust that a little for your blood pressure or for your personal taste, but 
it's not just a pinch. It's not just a few grains. It's a substantial amount you of salt. Hand, my, my hand is, is about the size I, I, yes, I, <laughs> I use. Right exactly. I can grab yeah. just about a tablespoon. <laughs> right. Well, that's and, and that is something that will make all the – anything else that follows would miss. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And so this is the, the most important first step. Um, and so many people, and of course, you know, nothing more annoying than going into a restaurant and getting ordering a, what you think is going to be this wonderful bowl of pasta, and all you can see is a big circular mound of sauce. Where's the pasta? It's, <laughs> and they people believe it's all about the sauce. People believe that pasta exists as a vehicle for sauce. It's quite the other way around. The, the sauce is in Italian. There, there. All not all the sauces are really sauces because sometimes it's just a handful of pork or a handful of cheese, and collectively they're all known as condimenti, condiments. The pasta is the main attraction. In fact, the other night I made this beautiful uh, puttanesca. My husband loves pasta alla puttanesca, so I made it with all the, the most perfect uh, capers from from Pantelleria and the best anchovies I could lay hands on, and the most wonderful olives. And I sat back and waited for the praise. And he said, "Oh, this is very good." And I smiled, I beamed, and then I realized he was talking about the pasta under all those, <laughs> those that garlic and the hot pepper and the anchovies. He was tasting the pasta, and he recognized that that was a very good pasta, and that is a very Italian approach. He's Italian, and that's, and he's absolutely right. The yeah. pasta is it. Yeah. The so rest that, is so. That's the other, dressing. and that's the important lesson in that is that. You know, people say, oh, I'll just get any old pasta because I'll make a really good sauce. No, you have Absolutely. to really watch. If you don't make your own pasta, you, then you buy the best pasta you can. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. You buy uh, extruded through bronze. Many people don't. I, I thought everybody knew that by now. But many people don't understand or don't even know it exists. Pasta that is, we're talking about the dry pasta, dried Dry pasta, industrially made dry pasta. Whether the it's macaroni. A, yeah, whether it's um, made arte- in a, semi-artisanally in a small factory or in a huge factory. The, um, the material through which the pasta is extruded changes the texture of the pasta. And you want a rough surface. Ideally, the surface should be rough. And this is usually achieved with a bronze dye. It will say so on the package. People ask me, how will I know it's you will you will read it because if they're using brown dyes, they want you to know. That's right. They'll read charge the label. a little more. They'll charge a little more. They'll tell but, you. <laughs> but really, on the scale of things, it's still a bargain. Yeah. And um, read the labels. <laughs> slow. Also, another is slow drying at low temperature makes a better a better pasta. You don't want the bigger the company. I won't mention any names, but the bigger the company, the more likely they are the pasta is um, blast dried at high temperature because. I mean, they just materially couldn't give all that attention to, to the, the enormous output. But smaller, smaller producers can can have the luxury of drying at low temperature. Well, that is um, the other the other myth that I think there you have lots of them that you address. <laughs> um, but one that so many Americans I think who haven't maybe haven't traveled still ascribe to, and that is. But of course, to eat pasta like an Italian, you must twirl it on a big soup spoon. Oh, uh, no. People, people get very worked up over this and say, well, my grandmother used, always used a spoon. Maybe so. But good manners 
today and certainly for the last 50 years, you don't use a spoon. You use a fork. And you, if you need to lean your fork, the times of your fork against something, you lean it against the side of your dish. And then and break it up that way, right. Yeah. You, t- you twirl just, against the dish. Or use your dish. teeth, people. It tastes good. Put it in your mouth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Just well, the secret is just take two spaghetti at, at a time. All right. We are going to hear more about these myths and the and your <laughs> your bust, busting explanations for them when we come back after a short break. Singing all day, singing all night, singing Cause I got this feeling and I know It's a mighty hard road But we all gotta go Yeah, we all gotta go Moaning through the nights, moaning through the days, moaning Cause I once had a love and now she's gone oh, Don't you know she's gone oh, Don't you know she's gone And she ain't coming back Laughing through the nights Crying through the days Losing my mind One tear at a time Over you It's all over you, Mm -hmm. over you, a girl I wish you knew, who was in the right, who was in the wrong, who Bonnie knows when you plant something, it keeps on giving, growing from friend to neighbor to community. Generations of gardeners have trusted Bonnie for fresh, healthy vegetable and herb plants. Rely on Bonnie for quality plants, help, and support. Bonnie, gardening with you since 1918. BonniePlants.com Hi, we're back on A Taste of the Past, and I'm talking with Maureen Font, and Maureen is the author of, uh, the co-author of Sauces and Shapes, Pasta the Italian Way with Oretta Zanini di Vita, and she's authored so many more books, but we're talking pasta today. <laughs> and actually, some of the myths that we were talking about, uh, the myths that abound in, in pasta cooking and in eating and making, and um, we were talking about um, tw- oh, twirling the pasta with a spoon. There are times you would use a spoon, but that's because the it's pasta's soup. It's soup. It's in broth. And you just said the only, the only way to eat Angel, Angel hair, hair is in broth. And tortellini as well? Tortellini only in broth. If my esteemed friend and co-author, Oretta, ever saw some of the uses of tortellini in this country, she would have apoplexy. 
she has apoplexy for much less, and she really might kill over. It. Oh, and, and I'm and I'm hospital. and I'm guilty. She would have to come and, and arrest me. I am guilty. Tortellini and <laughs> pasta salad. Pasta salad doesn't officially exist in Italy. <laughs> that hot and cold should not come together, right? Oh, pasta and salad always pa- go together. That was one of the myths. Pasta and salad. <laughs> oh, right. That's if you have pasta and salad for dinner, it's a two course meal. First the pasta, then the salad. Salad Nothing afterwards. alongside, n- right. no side dishes with pasta. Right, right. Well, everyone um, has a question about pasta and, and how to cook it, how to eat it. And even our executive producer, Jack, came out and said he has a question. He said, <laughs> "Are what about the times, the cooking times on pasta? Are the directions on the box usually accurate? Well, they have improved in recent years. It used, they used to be sort of lottery numbers that you didn't. You you couldn't trust them. Now they're pretty good, and um, you still have to set your timer for a minute or two early and check. But uh, they're they're pretty trustworthy, and often they'll give you a um, a choice between uh, times. The longer time is if you're going to put it directly in a serving bowl and put the sauce on top, and the shorter time if you're going to finish in a pan. So, um, yeah, they're they're pretty good. They're pretty good, but you still have to be yeah. vigilant. And people have all kinds of, uh, they claim to be perfect methods to knowing when the pasta is perfectly done. <laughs> One involves slinging it against the kitchen wall to see if it sticks or not. <laughs> I remember that when I was a child. Sophia Lauren was guilty of that. She wrote a cookbook, and she said, and everybody for years after had pieces of spaghetti up on their ceiling that they could never get down. <laughs> but no, that is not the way. By the time it sticks to the wall, it's already gone. It's, it's tr- got to turn to mush, yeah. Well, you mentioned that um, it take it off a little early if it's going to be finished in a pan or depending on when you're going to put the sauce on or how, what kind of sauce it is. And this is another thing that a lot of people don't understand, that, that they will serve a bowl of pasta and then put the sauce on. Well... People are too slow with the sauce. That's a major difficulty. Once the pasta has been drained, every nanosecond counts. And you get it into a warm serving bowl. Did you hear that, folks? Drained. Not rinsed. Drained. Oh, you know, we don't rinse. (laughs) We don't even talk about it. (laughs) And assuming you're using a um, a good bronze extruded pasta, don't worry if it's drained perfectly. If it carries a little water with it, that's... It's going to it's going to be absorbed. These these pastas are very absorbent, and they'll absorb a lot of sauce too. So you have to get it mixed up with the sauce. We put the cheese on first, except if you're doing it in a pan and you sort of physically can't. But if you're putting it in a serving bowl, add the cheese first. It sticks better and makes everything creamier, and then the sauce. But mix everything very well and very quickly, because you don't want it to get cold. And as a my husband, who's Italian, he had a grandmother who was she didn't like pasta in America unless she made it, or if I made it. Oh, well, <laughs> that said, was quite nice. It was such a compliment. She said because because you don't. It's only what clings to the noodle a little bit. There's not too much sauce. Yes, and that was the whole thing. Not too much sauce, as you said before, and. You said put the cheese on first and then and then the sauce because it'll get creamier, which brings me to another myth so many people believe. And listen, there are so many recipes that are, you know, famous old-time historical recipes that people have bastardized, you know, left and right. One of them is fettuccine Alfredo. Yes. <laughs> Alfredo, 
um, there is people, many people will go so far as to say it's not an Italian dish. It's certainly not a common Italian dish, but it is Italian. There's the Italian, Alfredo was a Roman uh, restaurateur. There is a a dish in Rome called fettuccine Alfredo, also known as fettuccine al triplo burro, triple butter. It has two ingredients besides the pasta. Butter, approximately a ton, (laughs) and a freshly grated Parmigiano, 24-month-old Parmigiano Reggiano, another ton. I mean, really, I say a ton. I really, I think it's about a pound. We have, Oretta went to the restaurant and where they're still doing it, and they're about to, in, to introduce courses on it because people have just bastardized <laughs> it so much. There is no cream in Alfredo. <gasps> Did you hear that? No cream. I will repeat that. There is no cream in Fettuccine Alfredo. There are most certainly not chicken breasts and anything else. Mushrooms. (laughs) I have seen people put garlic in what they call Alfredo. Garlic and and all that Parmigiano and all all that butter would never never happen in Italy. It just isn't in the Italian, recognized by the Italian palate as a good thing. But fettuccine Alfredo is um, a lot of butter, a lot of... A parmigiano, and the thinnest, most delicate, um, freshly made fettuccine egg noodles that you can manage, and it's made very quickly. You have the butter just melting by the side of the stove when when you drain the pasta, and it uses quite a bit of the pasta water as well to get the cheese all distributed. I think everybody should taste this once. Once is about all anybody really could handle in, in a <laughs> lifetime. But when we were testing it for the for the book, we had a, some guests over at Oretta's house. And everybody, these were all Italians, everybody said, wow, the Parmigiano is so strong. And these were people who certainly had grown up with the taste of Parmigiano. It was not, nothing new about it. But that intensity of Parmigiano... Was, it was almost too much. And I think everybody should make this recipe once and taste that intensity of Parmigiano because once you've tasted that, you will never again overdo it with the cheese. You will recognize the power of Parmigiano and how it will take over the whole show. Mm-hmm. So it must be used sparingly. When it's called for, it's called for. It's good. It's wonderful. It's the best cheese in the universe. But it's strong stuff and... You have to keep it at bay, or it, you won't taste anything else. But with the, the Alfredo, as it's stirred with the hot pasta and the, and the melted butter, it does form its own cream sauce. I mean, it's, it's cheese. It, it's, it's, it's melted. It's, it becomes melted cheese. Creamy and dreamy. It, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> absolutely. But that's the cheese and butter combining with the water from the pasta, the starch from the pasta. That's what makes it creamy. Yeah. It's There's not an, cream. An, another dish that is... Remarkably simple that is often um, mismade. I mean, there are many, I'm sure. Is uh, spaghetti alla carbonara? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I first went to Rome as a student, I, my then boyfriend, later ex-husband, and I learned. Met, we met there in Rome at school, and we came back to New York and made carbonara for our friends. They were amazed. I don't. I, I would be probably embarrassed today with what I made in 1968 as 
carbonara. But nonetheless, one friend told me years later, he said, you remember that time you invited me for dinner for carbonara? And I said, of course I do. He said, you know, I was really embarrassed for you all evening because I thought you forgot the sauce. <laughs> it wasn't if it wasn't red it wasn't sauce that's right but that was early carbonara people um use tend to use cream in carbonara that is a it's essentially a cheat it's not correct it's not you know a mortal it's a mortal sin but it's it say it's a venial sin it helps you sort of move everything around if you're using only egg yolks as the more shishi uh, tend to do you need it because it's a little dry. But it's a traditional dish of poverty. It's people, shepherds and workers who went out in the mountains of uh, the Apennines and took their pork with them in their little bags and cooked outdoors. And not and not a, a rich cut of pork either. No, they took guanciale, which was the... Um, jowls of the... The jowl, the cured, not smoked... Never smoked, which is why bacon is inappropriate. But uh, cured, cured, salt cured, and they cooked it themselves. So you know, when it comes to separating the eggs, what were they going to do? Whip up a meringue with what they didn't use? No, the traditional way is to use the whole egg. Now the carbonara is one of these poor dishes that has gone uptown, and all the fancy restaurants serve it, and they use fancy cheeses and. It should be only pecorino romano, but parmigiano is is good and it's widely accepted. But um, they use fancy cheeses, fancy peppers, and uh, when it's really egg just yolks. so simple, and it's and it's really it's, it's really so simple. the The secret to carbonara is temperature. You don't want to scramble the eggs, so you don't put anything back on the fire after you've added the eggs, and uh, if the eggs are a little runny, so be it. Add more cheese if it's too runny for your taste. They'll, it'll absorb. <laughs> right. And a lot of pepper. you got to add a lot of and, pepper. And good, freshly ground black pepper. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You, um, in at, in this book, you do as uh, was, of course, the, the, the whole content of the book, the encyclopedia of, of, uh, of pasta that uh, you translated with Oretta. But this one, you you include um, a whole section on different pastas and the making of them, and I guess it was I guess it's a glossary, but it also tells a little bit how they're made too. Um, and is there? I think that well, there's one pasta shape that one that really surprised me. Not a pasta shape so much, but um, a pasta, and that is the um, the pasta with pizza dough or bread dough. Yes, that's uh, traditional in where Oretta has her country house in in Sabina, northern Lazio, the province of Rieti. There are, and it's not the only one. That, there aren't a lot of them, but there are some. You can go to the in those towns, or even in Rome, you can go to the the bakery and just buy the dough, and then you take it home and cut it into roll it out and cut it into strips and boil them. Hmm. So it makes a chewier, a, a chewier. Yes, it's a different texture. Yes, yeah, interesting. Uh, in you had mentioned that you know the the um, the carbonara was a poor dish. Well, many of the pasta dishes that come from the Lazio region are more or less cucina povera. I mean, yes. they are foods of the, you know, of 
people without a lot of means, not buying fancy ingredients, but doesn't mean they're not good ingredients. No, no, right. that's, that's right. probably the best. <laughs> right. Um, one, as far as a shape um, and a sauce that where where you find a travesty other than the the, the tortellini we've, we've dealt with that one um what let's say you uh make a well a, a ragu any kind of ragu whether it's a lamb or beef or um and so what would that be served with well let's take bolognese bolognese is served with tagliatelle it is also used in lasagna bolognese and that's it. Bolognese does not go on spaghetti. The Bolognese, until probably the advent of television, didn't even know what spaghetti meant. They, <laughs> it wasn't on their radar. And, you know, there's inherent... It's not that spaghetti is inherently horrible with, with meat sauce. It's, um, it's just not traditional for this meat sauce. Which is a, which is a very thick meat sauce, and it's it's nicely captured by the flatness of the of the noodle. Other ragus from other parts of Italy, where spaghetti is traditional, are fine with spaghetti. We don't we don't mind. We don't object to that. <laughs> and you heard it from the pasta police, right? <laughs> you heard it from the pasta. <laughs> but but in truth, the um, the tagliatelle in Italy, except apart from a lot of the popular dried brands is a little wider than what we see in the tagliatelle in the United States. Oh, now that I don't know. Yeah. But there, the bolognese, Oretta is, a bol, is bolognese, so when she talks about the bolognese, she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> she says they do tend to be obsessive. And they have registered not only the recipe for ragu and the filling for tortellini. These are registered with the local Chamber of Commerce. They also registered the permissible dimensions of the tagliatelle. Mm. And I don't remember how many millimeters it is, but it's some fraction of some tower in, in Bologna. I mean, it, it's, it's practically a joke, except that they like that. That's the kind of thing that makes them, that makes them laugh. They think that that's a good joke. Everybody else thinks it's crazy. But... Um, Fettuccine and tagliatelle are essentially the th- same thing, but fettuccine might be a hair's breadth wider and a hair's breadth thicker. And then we get up to pappardelle. And pappardelle are are wider, are right. wider. Right. All right. So if I and throw also very good with meat. Ragu. Another ragu with meat. Lamb, a, yeah, like a lamb or a boar. Very particularly. good. Yeah. Very good with yeah. that. wild boar. It's traditional with wild boar. Okay, I'm getting hungry here. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> let me throw out a couple of shapes to you, and and you tell me. Oh dear, let's see. <laughs> I don't know, remember this, right? No, um, oh, no, I'm not going to throw anything out of left field. It's in your book. But, um, what what would be appropriate? How how to serve these particular shapes. Okay, so I'm thinking of two that could be somewhat similar, and that would be um, garganelle and uh, srozzaprete. Oh. Those are pretty versatile shapes. You can really do quite a lot with both of those. Garganelle. Garganelle are tubular, and they're good with meat sauce. They're, they're good with meat sauce. They're good with really anything. Um... And strozzo preti are 
choke the priest for yeah, anyone doesn't know. Yes, if anybody doesn't know, with the, <laughs> recognize immediately. It comes from uh, sort of resistance by stars to the papal papal states. Is when the Vatican had the the Pope had the temporal power over most of Central Italy, um, and the the priests were regarded as sort of the gluttonous minions of the wealthy Vatican. But um, tomato sauces, tomato sauces with a little meat, not not the the heavy ragouts like like bolognese, but something that spreads spreads over it, something with more tomato. Truffle sometimes in, in Orvieto you see them with truffle sauces. The garganelle. The no, the no, sozzapreti, but they call them something else. The names, the nomenclature is really sort of fluid. But really, those are. Um, local products, mm-hmm. and then you travel from region to region throughout Italy, and and there are specialties in different regions. Um, I'm thinking of um, not cordelli, but the the ones that are stamped. The the round, um, oh corsetti, corsetti, right? There, there are two kinds of corsetti. There's the the ones that are stamped that look like communion wafers. Right, they're they, small disc, a small disc of dough. They're not that small, they're, okay. but they're thin disc. Okay. And they're stamped, and you could even have your family crest on the stamp, so you could stamp it with your. <laughs> that would take some work. Might not <laughs> no, but, but there are make, there are people who make yeah, make no, these no, now. No, no, I'm thinking for mine. So oh yeah, right. And um, I forget what they what kind of sauce they use with those. Mm-hmm. I really do. I mm-hmm. can't remember. And then the other is corsetti made by hand, which are thicker and a little more rustic. With you. You start with a roll of flour and water dough, and you cut it off, and then you press your fingers together. And so, would you use that sort of like an orecchiette, or they could use the same bro- orecchiette is typical with broccoli, and you could do the hmm. same. Interesting, even well, though they're from different areas. Um, you tell in the in the book, you you do tell an interesting um, tale, a story of uh, basically. Um, pasta has to not be mushy and cooked right, and so some of the pastas were too large. They would, by the time they were cooked through, they would be too mushy. So they oh. before you know, so they made tubular pastas. But tell me about that and how a home cook made this tubular pasta. And still today, in many parts of the South, women are very skilled with this incredibly. I think it's very difficult technique to make. For example, the original bucatini. Everybody knows bucatini today as a thick spaghetti with a very thin hole down the middle. The original, which is extruded industrially, the original bucatini and fusilli and other shapes, long and short and more more and less spirally, you take a, a rod, a metal rod, that's not round like a knitting needle, ideally. It's square in ch- section, which makes it easier to remove the pasta afterwards. And you take your little glob of dough. These are flour and water shapes, not egg. Durham wheat and flour and water. You take a little glob of dough and you put it on the board. You have to use a nice wooden board. You roll the, you place the rod on top of it and you take your two hands and you start rolling vigorously and rolling, pushing the dough down the, down the rod as you as you roll so you create a tube and you can do a short one or a long one you know a bigger glob of dough makes a longer you can get that a longer and then you give it a whack on your the palm of your hand and ease the rod out so you're making these one at a time it's i think it's excruciating but i have seen i have a friend from basilicata who does it not with a rod 
but with a straw. Hmm. And she gave me a handful of these straws to play with. I tried, I, I gave up. But she makes these delicate, delicate fusilli. The original fusilli are these, not the corkscrews that we right. see, the industrial fusilli. And it makes a very thin, she can make, with the straw, she can make a very thin uh, tube. And absolutely, absolutely delicious. And women today are still, she's younger than me. Not that that means anything, but she um, has a, has absolutely the traditional technique. Well, and you even mentioned that Oretta still uses her grandmother's. Her, uh, her mother-in-law's. Her mother-in-law's. Because Oretta's grandmothers were from the north. But her mother-in-law was from Basilicata. And Oretta has her, her mother-in-law's. Ferretto, it's called. Mm. Well, there is so much we could talk about uh, on pasta forever and ever. Well, because it's very close to my heart, <laughs> uh, and and you and have rightly such, so. <laughs> and you have such wonderful, wonderful information and tales to tell. Um, I just encourage people to you know to look in the books. Oh, and, thank uh, you. And um, and just to illustrate what a pasta police you are. <laughs> And all about this fact that the pasta has to be dressed immediately, right? Oh, absolutely. And if you have any put away in the refrigerator or for later that has no sauce on it? Yeah, it has to be thrown away. It's not fit for human consumption. Not fit for human consumption. There okay. are things you can do with leftover sauced pastas. And those we have, we have a little epilogue in the book called The Day After. But if, it ha- if you haven't sauced it, Throw it away. Absolutely throw it away. Throw it away. And you heard it from the pasta policewoman herself, (laughs) Maureen Fant. Maureen, thank you so much. It was truly a pleasure. And thank you for listening to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.